Hey, thanks for being here this morning, and uh, I wish all of you could have been there. I got, I got to spend a whole morning with these three couples this past week, and I left so encouraged and just so blessed just being around them and hearing a little bit more of their stories. So there were some things that we couldn't include in that time, but uh, one, of the, one of the cool things about that experience for me personally is I, I at the beginning of the week, I felt like God wanted um, to, for us to hear some stories of couples who have uh, lived in marriage and be able to share a little bit of their testimony with us as a church. And uh, as I prayed about that, God brought these three couples to mind. But I didn't, what I didn't realize till afterwards, I started thinking about, okay, um, because one of the things we're going to talk about this morning as we talk about the issue of marriage and the, and the context of the Ten Commandments is that God intends it for blessing, not just for us, but for others. And when I thought about these three couples, I thought, wow, Rimrock Church has been so blessed by these three couples because their children are part of their children, and their grandchildren, and Jean and Leola have great-grandchildren. <laughs> and, and they've been a huge blessing to this church. But then I started thinking, not just to the church, but to Rapid City. As I think about these families and their kids and what they do in our community and how they serve in our school system and, and the issues that we face as a community, I thought, wow, they bring blessing to our community. And then I think even further about some of the children and grandchildren who have impact on the national level. And I think, wow, God's blessing not only for our church, but our community and for our nation through three, fam three couples who discovered the blessing of marriage and how that ripples out, how that affects so much. Well, I realize this morning not everyone here is married. <laughs> and I just want to say that this message isn't just for married folks. This message is for all of us. And I also realized this morning that there are some here where this can be a painful topic. Uh, some here uh, have experienced divorce. Some uh, are, are single and maybe want to be married. Maybe some of you are single and don't want to be married. I realize that for all of us, as we look at uh, the command we're going to look at, there's uh, an issue of pain. And there's couples here who are struggling right now, and marriage isn't a blessing. There, there's some pain involved right now. And so I, I realize that all of us come to this place, come to the community with different experiences. But here's what I want to emphasize this morning. As we sang already, God loves you. <laughs> he loves us. And his intention for us is to bless us. It's not to harm us. It's not to just make you feel bad. <laughs> he is working to reveal his love and his intention to bless us. And so there's good news this morning. And I, I want you to hear that before we start, is, is, is no matter what your circumstances, no matter what, where you are in, in your relationship, married or not married, divorced or not divorced, that, that God's love is unconditional and persistent and pursuing every single one of us. Every single one of you is being pursued and loved by God. So here's the good news as we go through the Ten Commandments. In Christ, we are not under the law. Rather, we are in Christ. And so if you have believed in Jesus Christ, if you have received him as your Lord and your Savior, you are not under the law. In fact, Jesus said, I did not come to condemn. Rather, I came to save. And as we started this series, we said there's a context to the Ten Commandments. It's the context of God's intention to rescue, right? The people of Israel were enslaved. They were in Egypt. And then God said, 
I am the Lord who brought you out of slavery, out of Egypt. And his goal was to bring them into a promised land, abundant life, a life of blessing. And that is God's intention for you. That's his intention for me. That's his intention for the whole world. It's to bless and to save. He came to bring life. And I, uh, I love, as we go through the Ten Commandments, the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' teaching on the Ten Commandments. So, so if you really want to understand God's heart behind the Ten Commandments, read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. It, it shows the profound uh, intention and plan and purpose God has to bring blessing to our lives. Because what does he start the Sermon on the Mount with? A word of blessing. A word of blessing. God's purpose is to bless us. Now, we did something interesting uh, as we have gone through this series through the Ten Commandments, both in Exodus and Deuteronomy. Um, we, are, we are exegetically moving through the commandments, but, but over the, the, these three Sundays, last Sunday, this Sunday, next Sunday, we, we, did a, we did something interesting. We flipped them around because in the order, we would have gone from Sabbath to honor your father and mother. Next week, we're going to look at honor your father and mother. Last week, we looked at honoring life, the issue of murder. The Bible says, uh, the commandment says, do not murder. And so we looked at the value of human life last week. Now, why did we switch that around? Because that's what Jesus did in the Sermon on the Mount. And there's an intentionality behind that that's expressing and revealing the heart of God. Because remember, in the Ten Commandments, there's the first commandments are all about God and our relationship with God, that we are to love God with all our heart, soul, and strength. And then the second part of the Ten Commandments is all about our human relationships. So last week, we initiated that part of the Ten Commandments of how do we relate to one another? And where Jesus starts is the only way we can truly relate to one another is we understand the eternal, infinite value of every single person made in the image of God. That's foundational. If we don't understand how valuable people are, then, then we miss out on the blessing and the purpose God has in our existence and how we relate to one another. And so it's so critical that Jesus starts with the issue of how we see one another and the value and the worth and that life is from God. And we are to see his image in each other. And so that becomes the foundation even for today as we talk about the issue of marriage. <laughs> that we have to see the value of one another. How we are made in the image of God. And so, as we look at uh, Exodus chapter um, 20, verse 14, know that this uh, passage is in the context of God's rescue and his desire to bless you. And so marriage is a part of God's story. It's a part of his blessing. And this commandment is rooted in Genesis 2, verse 24. In Genesis 2.24, we are told that after God had created everything, the, the stars and the sun and the moon and the, the sky and the animals and the birds and the trees and everything, cold days and warm days, <laughs> God made it all, that he made men, a man and a woman in his image, Adam and Eve, equally reflecting in their very essence, intrinsically Revealing the image and the likeness of God with value, with worth. And he made them together. And that's why in Genesis 2.24, he says, That's why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. So marriage 
was God's idea. <laughs> it wasn't our idea. We didn't come up with it. God defines and he created marriage for a purpose of blessing. And if you keep reading Genesis 2, he says, be fruitful and multiply, and he blesses them. He says, it's good. And so marriage is God's idea. And it's defined by God as one man and one woman. One man, one woman, united together as one flesh. So God has determined and created and defined what marriage is. That's so important. That's so important. That's foundational for us. We believe God has revealed to us. We didn't just arrive there on our own. God showed that to us, and he showed us the value of that, the importance of that relationship for human blessing, human flourishing. So now we're going to go to Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, and I believe it will be on the screen. Um, And it's very simple in the Hebrew. Two words. In English, we've added a few words. You shall not commit adultery. In Hebrew, two words. No adultery. Two words. Just like last week when we looked at murder, no murder. Very to the point. Very straightforward. God says no to adultery. So this message, as I emphasized before, is for all of us. And we know it's for all of us because of how Jesus talked about this issue in the Sermon on the Mount. It's not just for married people, although it is for married people, (laughs) but it is for all of us because it affects all of us. And it has potential, I believe God has potential to transform all of us in this area of our lives. In fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said it's not just the physical act of adultery But Jesus makes it not just physical, but he talks about our hearts, our intentionalities, how we think about one another, how we think about God's supreme creation, man and woman. It's important that we look at that passage on the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, even if you mutilate your body, even if you remove your eye, even if you cut off your arm, he says that doesn't deal with the root issue because the real issue is a heart issue. It has to do with who we are as people, persons made in the image of God. That's very important. We have to understand what God is after. He's not just after our behavior or the management of our behavior. He's after our hearts. Why? Because he created us to be in a relationship with him. That's what the first commands are all about is a love relationship with him. And we were created to be in relationship with one another. And so if God is going to work in our lives and transform our hearts, it has to be at the most profound level of who we are. We're not talking about behavior modification here. We're talking about the transformation or as we see in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the formation or the creation of of a new being of who we are as people. Now I want to say something really Uh, really important here. Uh, We live in a culture that has celebrated uh, romantic love, and and romantic love is a beautiful thing, but uh, many times, uh, if you read books and movies, and I think lately with postmodernism, maybe it's diminished a little bit, but it's been presented to us much of our lives that somehow, if we experience romantic love, that somehow we will, that is the ultimate form of human fulfillment and happiness. And I just want to say that the Bible doesn't teach that. (laughs) 
Uh, marriage is not the ultimate way that God satisfies our deepest longings and desires. Now, I think marriage, as we have already read, is so important, and it's for our good, it's for our blessing. But Jesus was the happiest, most fulfilled human who ever walked on this planet. Have you thought about that? <laughs> Jesus was the happiest, most fulfilled human who ever walked on this planet. Now, we believe Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully man. And he experienced this life with all of its joys and sorrows and difficulties, just as we do. He was tempted in every way that we are tempted, yet he was fulfilled in every way. And here's, here's what's important. He was single. <laughs> he wasn't married. And so that's, that's good news for you who are here this morning single, that, that thinking if only I could find the right person, or so only if I could be married, then I would be happy. No, there, there is a happiness and fulfillment that comes and transcends beyond just marriage. And that's important to us. So what is, what is adultery? What is adultery? It's a breaking of God's ordered design for not only our bodies, but also our hearts. It, it's a breaking of God's ordered design of our hearts, and our bodies. And so the reality that the Bible presents to us is that we have all been affected by sin, okay? We, we, we sometimes skip over that word all, but it says in Romans 3 that we have all sinned. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. And so that's why when we come to the Ten Commandments, we have to read it like, and it says in James, that we have to read it like a mirror, Okay, so when we go through the Ten Commandments, it's so easy to say, well, at least I haven't murdered anyone, or at least I've never committed adultery. And if we, if we read it that way, and if we think about it that way, we've missed the whole point. Because the law wasn't given so that we feel better about ourselves or worse about ourselves. The reality is if we hold the mirror up, we will see that we have all fallen short of God's glory. There is only one who is perfect, God. <laughs> we have been affected by sin in the deepest ways, in the deepest levels of all of our being. All of us are broken, deeply broken, deeply broken. And so I just want to say as we talk about adultery, it's not just so that we feel better about ourselves or worse about ourselves, because I know that that's what Satan does. He brings those accusations, and already I can, I know that some of you are thinking either I'm glad I never done that, or, boy, I am so guilty. But here's what we got to see. We have all fallen short of God's glory. All of us have sexual and relational brokenness in our lives, in our hearts. Every single one of us. And when we open God's law and we see his word and we look at it seriously, we must be convicted of that. We must see the reality of our brokenness. And so when we look at adultery, we're seeing the, the, the diagnosis of the brokenness of our being. But here's the good news. God doesn't leave us there, right? He didn't leave his people enslaved in Egypt. He doesn't leave us enslaved in our sexual brokenness. Rather, he rescues us. And that's God's intention, his purpose. He wants to rescue. He wants to heal. He wants to restore. And so today, as we talk about a painful, difficult subject, 
There's a door of hope. <laughs> There's a door of healing. There's a door of a newness of life that we can experience, not just in heaven after we die, but right now. God meets us in that place so that he can make us truly happy as Christ was truly happy. I heard this week a, a powerful quote from a pastor in, uh, in North Carolina named Derwin Gray, and uh, I've thought a lot about that this, this week because um, we all want to be happy, right? And, and I think that's what God wants for us. But, but sometimes we think that we can only be happy if we're free from pain. But this is what Darwin Gray says. Happiness is not the absence of pain. It is the presence of God's goodness. The presence of God's goodness. Making you good for the world. You see, God is good. And he meets us in the place of our brokenness. So as we hold up that mirror... And we look at the command, and we, and we see our own hearts, our own tendency towards brokenness and what's wrong, and we look at that, we are reminded that yes, we are broken, there's pain there, but God's intention is good, and he's making us, he's transforming us for something good. And it's not just for our own good, but for the good of the world. <laughs> That's what he told Abraham, he says, I'm going to choose you, I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing to others. And as we heard these three couples share about their own marriages, all three of them, what did they talk about? They said, we couldn't do this without God. And as God has worked in our lives, what it's brought about is blessing for others. <laughs> Blessings for others. I, I think Dee said, from generation to generation to generation. When I sit down with uh, couples, when they um, want to get married, the, the first thing I, I like to share with them is that you know what? Marriage isn't really for you. <laughs> it's not really about you. It's really about God. And it's really for others. And, and, and that's, that's hard for us to, to get our minds around because all of us, and, and I'm preaching into a, a context of, of where we live in 2021 in the United States of America, that we have been deeply influenced by a story that's different than God's story. I've been influenced. We all have been influenced. And so I, I just want to step back and look at, okay, why, how, how do we look at marriage? And how are we broken in how we view it? Because, because there's been a, a culture, there's been a mindset, there's been a message that a lot of us have believed. And that I believe God wants us to reject so that we can receive his message. So this has to do with fulfillment, happiness, how we see our personhood, how we see each other. Number one, our culture says, and this is anti what the Bible says, the culture says that we have to f figure out our own identity, that we're self-identified, that I determine who I am. And a lot of times we determine those based on our desires. That's why we can live in a culture that says, I'm a man trapped in a woman's body or a woman trapped in a man's body. How do you get there? Well, it starts with looking in at desires or trying to discover your own identity. The second lie, or the second thing that our culture has told us, is that we're autonomous. That I can make up my own private decisions and it doesn't affect anyone else. That it's my business alone. But the Bible show, says that we are relational beings. <laughs> that there is no such thing as private decisions. Everything we do affects others. And so when we look at our own relational sexual brokenness, a lot of times it stems from this lie of saying, I can do whatever I want. But we all know intrinsically that when people are broken 
internally, it affects all their other relationships. That's, that's why divorce is so painful for kids. It's so painful for everyone around them, right? Because we don't just make our own private decisions. It affects everyone else. And the third thing that our culture says is that we're ultimately consumers, that everything is for our benefit, that we are here to consume. And so we approach objects that way, but we can also approach people that way. And so when we do that, it creates brokenness. But we've all been affected by these three, three, these three things, that somehow I can be self-identified, that I can be autonomous, that I can be a consumer. All these, these, these three things bring a, bring a deep brokenness. And we see it in our culture. We see it, we feel it, we know it. We know that something's deeply wrong, and we see it in ourselves. But what does God say? In the Bible, it says we are given an identity. We can't discover it on our own. We can't define it on our own. It's what God says about us. It's who he's created us to be. Who we are is who God says we are, not what we think we are. Second, we are relational beings. We are not autonomous. We were created for relationship, and God himself is revealed as three in one, a relational being who we are made in his image. We are created to be in deep relationships with others. And so Jesus, even as a single man, experienced deep intimacy and friendship and community with others. We were created for that. And third, that it's not through consumption that we discover happiness, but it's through sacrifice that we discover happiness. You know, if you think about how Jesus lived, he lived in total dependence on the identity given from God. He was a relational person, and he lived a sacrificial giving life. That's why he's the happiest man who ever lived. And the happiest people who live are people who give, who aren't consuming, but are offering themselves to bless others, to bring joy to others. That's why Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but I came to serve. And it's more blessed to give than to receive. And so as we think about these cultural issues and we think about how we think and how we approach, this helps us see that what God wants to do is he wants, he wants to order our desires in his sacred order. God has an order for our life. He has a purpose of blessing, and he's revealed to, it, to us to in the Ten Commandments. And he's revealed that it's possible through Jesus Christ, that Jesus came to give us grace, to set us free, to make us whole. And that's why when we look at the Ten Commandments, we can't look at them and then stop there. We have to look at the heart, the intention of God, and the purpose of God of bringing Jesus Christ in this world to liberate us, to free us. That's why we've read John 8 over and over. Read John 8 over and over. Jesus said, I have come to set you free so that you can be free indeed. It's about liberation. It's about blessing. So no one goes to their wedding day and says their vows and thinks, um, I'm going to commit adultery someday or I'm going to break these vows. Like, I don't, I don't know any couple who goes into that day thinking that way. And so, how do we get to adultery? How do we get to brokenness? It's a journey. It's a, it's a process of desires that have gotten out of order. Desires that have gotten out of order. And the desires themselves are not evil. God put those desires in us. He created us with those desires, right? He made us full of desire. And it's like a, it's like a river. This rapid creek out here is a blessing, right? It provides water, <laughs> 
and so much good to our whole community. But we know what happens when that river goes outside of its banks. It's destructive. It destroys. In fact, our history here in Rapid City is deeply impacted by a river that got outside of its banks. And the same with our desires. If we do not have our desires ordered as God intended them for blessing, it will bring destruction. It will bring destruction. And so how do we, and here's the issue, how do we have rightly ordered desires? I think this is why Jesus came. <laughs> he came to create us into new beings who have rightly ordered desires. And it's a process of transformation that is by his grace. This isn't through effort. It's not through sin management. This is God's work. This is what the Holy Spirit came to do in us. He's giving us longings and desires that are in the right place, in the right place. Now, the only way this can happen for us, and this is the solution I believe God reveals to us, is it has to start with God's love for us. It doesn't start with us. It doesn't start with us wanting to love God more. It starts with us hearing and knowing God's love for us. So there's a story in the Old Testament that illustrates this to us through a man named Hosea. How many of you guys have heard of Hosea? <laughs> he was a prophet. And God told Hosea, he said, I want you to go marry, and I want you to marry a woman who's not going to be faithful to you. She's going to commit adultery. She's not going uh, to, to love you the way you love her. But I'm calling you to be faithful to her, to keep your vows to her, to love her unconditionally. Now, now we think about Hosea, and we always want to identify with Hosea. Like, we all say, okay, I'm going to be Hosea. But the reason God gave us this story is because we're all more like Gomer. We're all more like Gomer. In fact, God says to his people, Israel, you're more like Gomer. Your, your heart is going after other things. And there's a connection between this command, do not commit adultery, and do not have other gods. Idolatry and adultery go together because they have to do with the ordering of our desires. But I want to read out of Hosea 2 because this is poetic and this is beautiful. And this is what I want, uh, I think God wants us to hear this morning because this is how God sees us. This is how God is looking at you and I, even in all of our brokenness. This is what Hosea 2 says in verse 14. Therefore, I'm going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And I will give her back her vineyards and I'll make the valley of Achor a door of hope. Do you see that? A door of hope. <laughs> You see, no matter how broken we are, when we come to God, there's hope. There's hope. He's pursuing us with his love. And there she will respond as in the days of her youth. And so the question that is before us as far as the solution to ordering our desires is, will we respond to God? Will you respond to God? Will I respond to God? As in the days of her youth, in the day she came out of Egypt... And that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and you will no longer call me my master. I will remove the names of the Baals from her lips, and no longer will their names be invoked. I will betroth you to me forever. This is God speaking. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and in compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness, and you will acknowledge the Lord. And that day I will respond, declares the Lord, I will respond to the skies 
and they will respond to the earth, and the earth will respond to grain and new wine and new oil, and they will respond to Jezreel. And I will plant her for myself in the land, and I will show my love to the one I called not my loved one. You see where the love comes from? It comes from God. <laughs> it's, it's not us responding. It, it's, it's not us creating love. It's God's love, and it's us responding to that love. And I will say to those not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. So for us who are married, for those who are married, it's not for us. This is God's story. And you get to be an, an illustration, a, a picture of God's kind of love. Unconditional kind of love. A pursuing kind of love that comes from God. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up as we close our time here. Um, I remember the day when I uh, called my father-in-law to ask him to marry my wife, Jill. I was nervous. And uh, I, I asked him, I said, would you give me your blessing for me to marry your, your daughter? And uh, he responded in a way I did not expect. He said, Ben, let me ask you a question. I said, sure. He said, do you love Jesus? I thought, well, I, I do love Jesus, but, but I want to marry your daughter. <laughs> he was a farmer, but he understood the most profound theological truth about God, that it was about ordered desires. And he knew that if I knew the love of God, if I knew the love of Jesus, that out of that would come the kind of faithful love to Jill that would bring ultimate blessing to her and ultimate blessing to our kids someday. He understood rightly ordered desires. And that's why when Ephesians 5, and worship team, come on up. In Ephesians 5, when it talks about wives and husbands, he says, I'm actually not talking about marriage. I'm talking about Jesus, God with his people. God with his people. And so that's why this message applies to all of us, whether we're married or not. Happiness, fulfillment is ultimately in the story of God with his people. And if we have that right in our hearts, if we know the love of God, if we know his faithfulness, if we know his pursuit, just like Hosea pursued Gomer, and that's how he pursues us, then we can be the kind of people where an unconditional love can stir and be created in our souls and transformed, where we can go into our human relationships faithfully, committed, sacrificially, with God-centered kind of love. It's possible in Jesus. We're going to sing a great song.